0: This is Storage Unpacked. Subscribe at StorageUnpacked.com.
1: This is Chris Evans with another Storage Unpacked podcast. Uh, This week I'm with return guest Rick Kutchpal. Rick, how are you? Good. How are you, Chris? Yeah, very well, thanks. Yeah, very well indeed. Now, Obviously, you've been with us before, you work for Broadcom, but um, you're not here representing Broadcom in terms of uh, this discussion. You actually work for the uh, SCSI Trade Association, if I've got that correct, which is now f- part of a, a bigger group, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. Um, that was a big change for us this year. We, uh, we made the change to be incorporated under SNIA as one of their groups, and we're, we're looking forward to working with them and uh, the, you know, the synergies that they bring to the SCSI Trade Association uh, into the future
1: and i think everybody hopefully knows sneer um but if not we'll put some links to both you know your website and uh, and there's uh, as part of this discussion yeah. now we're going to have a chat about hard drives and it's really interesting because in the market over the last um, I should rephrase that we're not going to talk about hard drives per se because obviously then um, you're you're not here <laughs> representing the hard drive industry we're going to talk about hard drives indirectly as part of a lead into the discussion we're going to have and that's to talk about hyperscalers and SAS and the use of SAS within the hyperscale environment. But as a lead into that, we noticed that there was some interesting news this week talking about hard drives that came out of Seagate. Seagate have released uh, a new architecture, and we're now seeing the pushing of the boundaries a bit further past sort of thirty terabyte drives. And it seemed like a good opportunity and an interesting point to have a discussion about, you know, back-end connectivity for hard drives, especially in hyperscalers, because everybody thinks the markets are all moving to NVMe, and actually, in reality, of course, that's not the case, is it?
0: no that that's a good point um you know and so to we can't we can't compartmentalize sas with with hard drives um, while it is a very important technology you know hard drives continue to evolve and are a very important part uh, in the hyperscale architecture and you know the the capacity increases like you're talking about with hammer um are you know are, are a testament to that um and that that's going to continue to you know maintain the value proposition of HDDs and then ultimately SAS uh, in the hyperscale data center
1: yeah and I, I use that as a lead-in simply because it's probably been, you know something people have seen but obviously there's a there's as much use of SAS on SSD products and you know that that side of the market is still very important yeah you know not everything is pushing towards nvme even for SSD
0: correct yeah no that, that that's a fair statement
1: okay so let's you know let's dive in and' um, really give people perhaps a bit of a background here as to what SAS really is and where it came from. I think, you know, it, the SAS and SATR probably terms people bandy around without realizing exactly where they derive from. But, you know, as an example, SAS is a is a long lived protocol, probably the best way to describe it. That's been around for an awful long time, very mature.
0: Yeah, and actually SAS is the serialization of uh, a serialization of the SCSI protocol. Um, parallel SCSI uh, you know came about in the mid eighties. Um, as an interconnect specifically to connect computers to storage devices. Since, you know, and since then, moving into the early 2000s, um, the serial, serialized version, or you know, SAS, came about. And now we're on our fourth generation of that technology.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, anybody who remembers the parallel side of SCSI from years ago with parallel connectors knows the pain that used to come from low voltage um, SCSI and high voltage uh, uh, differential adapter terminations and all sorts of terrible um, stuff we had to do to make sure that worked correctly. Whereas moving to serial makes life an awful lot easier because, you know, the, the cables now... Or at least the last time i plugged in a, a sas or a sata cable they're very narrow very simple and you know all, all hot pluggable all very very easy so that move to to a serial interface was um actually quite a big step and quite an important one for scalability i think and an operability
0: yeah ag- agreed you know the you know sas like i mentioned um starting in the early 2000s was a you know a big innovation going to the serial serial interconnect and making it very usable for large-scale storage deployments.
1: Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about hyperscalers then. You know, generally, and you did a presentation not that long ago, I think, uh, when you talked about this this whole issue of hyperscalers and the top the topologies they use in their their data centers. And I think it's quite interesting to try and understand, you know, th- their mindset of what they're looking for when they're they're building large infrastructures, because there aren't many um, environments that really build out. To the degree that they would do in terms of storage infrastructure, you know, most of us might deploy a few hundred, even a few thousand drives, but I guess potentially hyperscalers are talking in the millions.
0: Yeah, and that that you know causes you know a whole different uh, paradigm in designing these systems, right? And so there are a number of key factors that are driving the hyperscalers and continuing to drive the hyperscalers um, to use SaaS in their modern architectures. Um, you can you look at it from scalability. Um, scalability is a big one, right? You have to be able to scale to thousands and even, you know, even then, you know, more drives, uh, you know, per system. Reliability is another one. A lot of times that one kind of gets swept under the rug, but reliability is really important and then cost, right? You can't, you can't forget cost. And it's, it's kind of interesting with these three, um, they would be prioritized somewhat different depending on who you asked, right? You asked the architect. You know, he has a, a document, a PRD to go architect a system to scale to thousands of devices, you know, and, and do it reliably and to meet different service level agreements, right? And so, he, you know, that's where SAS, You know, he uses SAS, points at SAS directly um, to solve those problems. Reliability, if, if, if you ask the IT engineer, right, their number one priority is going to be reliability right? That's, that's their job. That's, you know, that's how they, that's, you know, part of their metrics. Um, and, you know, SaaS, SaaS really helps out in that. Um, and then cost, right? That's, that's the bottom line that, you know, if you ask the, the, the product owner, um, if you will, or the CFO, they're going to talk about cost. And each one of those are, are very important. Now, that's not saying that, you know, these systems are exclusively SaaS. That's not the case. But for the near line tier you know the the capacity tiers; those are all SaaS for those reasons.
1: Yeah, and I, I look I look at it and think, especially in in hyperscale environments, and, and that mean could mean on premises, it could mean somewhere like uh, you know the Facebook type uh, companies and so on, because obviously they scale out as much as uh, say Amazon or uh, or Azure. But if you look at those sort of companies, you know you shave off three or four, five percent, even three or four percent of the cost of of their infrastructure. That's a huge amount of money saved. And it's not just about trying to make sort of 50% savings. Anything that you make is going to be looked at. So it's really important to look at every part of the infrastructure all the way down, I think, and and work out what can be saved.
0: No, uh, agreed. Especially when you're talking about cost, you know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of drives. And so, you know, even a small uh, differential in cost is very important to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. You know, I think what that sort of makes you look at, I think, as we sort of dig in in a bit further is, in that case, why go down the SAS route compared to, say, NVMe? I know, let's just bear in mind, so before anybody says anything and goes, hang on a second, but that's, you know, you have no choice with hard drives. Remember, we were talking about both hard drives and flash drives. So, of course, the NVMe discussion comes into it partly. But rather than be negative about NVMe, I think it's, Probably better to be positive about um, SaaS and say, well, what is it specifically that um, SaaS offers the hyperscalers in this instance?
0: Yes, you know. So we talked about some of the some of the metrics, you know, driving you know, the scalability, reliability, and cost. But when looking at the features, I I, I put it into two different buckets. Um, one is, are the fundamental attributes of SaaS, um, and then another one, you know, some of the newer features, right? And the fundamental attributes of SaaS. Now that the scalability, right? I mean that uh, SAS scales to thousands, um, thousands of drives without extra, without protocol conversions, without extra equipment. It just natively scales. You know, management's another one, right? With uh, protocols within the SCSI stack, like storage management protocol or SMPs, um, storage enclosure services. That's all part of the SCSI stack, and those all help you know, these, in this case, you know, the IT professionals manage these large enclosures by, you know, without without adding anything, without, you know, asking your initiator vendor or drive vendor to do anything special, right? That's just native uh, in the infrastructure. From, you know, a pure feature, like newer innovative feature perspective, um, there are a number of them, you know, SMR is a good one, um, increasing the aerial density of a drive, right? So taking the same drive and increasing... The, ultimately the capacity by, you know, 10, 15%, right, right again at these at these numbers, at this scale, that's a big deal. Another one, performance. It's interesting, you know, people think of HDDs and th- they don't think of performance. Performance has a number of different p- uh, pieces to it. And a technology or a command set like command duration limits or CDLs looks at and focuses on the tail latencies of the HDDs. Right. And this is very important for some of these big data centers that have very specific SLAs or, you know, service level agreements that they have to admit they have to commit to. And so things like CDLs help with some of the some of the problems associated with hard disk drives. So that, that that's that those are some examples.
1: Yeah. So you and I talked about that one um... Rick, some time ago, uh, CDLs. And I thought that was a really interesting one because uh, just to remind everybody, uh, and if I just make sure I've got it right, my understanding of that technology was the idea that in hyperscale environments, rather than suffer tail latency, you decide it's sometimes better just to say, this IO just isn't going to complete in my time frame, and you just fail it rather than actually wait for it to, com- to fail or to complete. And as a result, you can go and maybe find that data somewhere else. So you just basically say, here's the limit within which it needs to complete if it doesn't tell me it's failed rather than me wait forever. And it helps you sort of manage tail latencies because you might be able to get that data from a mirror copy or somewhere else. And therefore, you're not suffering the tail latency issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one because the the concept originated uh, within OCP um, as, and they called it OCP fast fail. Um, To fast fail an IO, you know, to your point, right? You set a limit and you can fail that IO without bad things happening and, you know, logs getting thrown and things like that. A lot of times multiple commands will go out, right? Reads to a couple different drives will go out and then They'll, you know, then whoever responds first, then will you know the others get failed, and then that manages the latencies. And I, I've done a I've done a couple of presentations on on this, and um, there's some very interesting numbers um, that are starting to come out from experiments that we've done that some of the drive guys have done on on this technology, and it's very compelling.
1: And- not, not um, to disrespect the the hard drive manufacturers because they've done some amazing jobs you know in continuing to improve the technology but naturally as you increase the capacity of drives then your io density uh, is going to be challenged all the time because you've got more and more capacity on effectively very similar speeds or similar interfaces so that there are techniques you need to help manage that io and i know with things like smr there are host based management uh, techniques to allow the host to actually read and write that data in a more effective manner that tries to smooth out some of the issues you have with things like smr
0: right yeah and as you know smr is just a, a more efficient or a more efficient way of laying down the tracks and increasing the aerial density that way to your point though there are host implications right the host does have to um, be aware of how it's writing the zones and you know where those zones are so there is there is overhead associated with technologies like smr
1: but this is just to go back and you know reemphasize that this is what you're saying is being added into sas i mean this is the awareness that sas has to to deal with these sort of issues so that as part of the protocol this isn't necessarily this is a standard it is part of the protocol it isn't necessarily anything proprietary it's absolutely something every vendor can actually or every user can take advantage of correct I think that, and I think that's quite relevant, by the way, because, you know, this isn't like proprietary extensions on, onto uh, a system that allows somebody to, to build something that like they say, oh, well, we've built this because this fixed the problem. These are, um, you know, industry standard uh, features in the platform.
0: Yep. And, and all very well documented. Um, T10 is the standards body that, that controls this. It's all published uh, information. It's all available
1: excellent i just wanted to go back and talk about the scalability side just a little bit because when we think about drive systems it's funny uh having had a lot of sort of background in the storage industry and looked at storage array design and things like that uh, it's amazing to see that today people might not think it people might think that a lot of systems have migrated fully to nvme but actually a lot of systems are still a mix of nvme and and sas because sas provides the scalability at the back end which allows you to put in shelves and shelves and shelves of JBODs and have only just you know small amounts of connectivity between them to make that work effectively. So that's I think something you could, you certainly can't do very easily with NVMe because we haven't got NVMe switches to the same degree or PCI switches to the same degree. Mm. And I think the scalability is quite interesting because if you if you look at it, I think it's I mean you're talking about thousands of drives you can put behind uh, SAS controllers, I guess, or at least hundreds behind a single SAS controller.
0: Yeah, I mean, the theoretical limit is 64,000, but the practical limit is, you know, in the thousands, you know, low thousands, but very seamlessly, too, right? All hot ad. You can add enclosures, you can add individual drives, all, you know, uninterrupted
1: traffic. And this comes back to the the couple of the pieces you discussed at the very beginning there, where you're talking about the requirements of different people within the infrastructure, you know, the. The architect wants to design something that's going to be reliable, but then there's, there's the, the person who's going to have to support this. There's going to be somebody who has to go in and swap drives out and event, occasionally replace them. You know, maybe they don't get replaced all the time, but when they do, anything that goes into a, a cabinet is an interruption. Anything that means you're pulling drives is a risk. So you want reliability. You want that back end interface to be able to recognize hot drives or drives coming in and out, and being hot plugged, without you causing an issue.
0: Yeah, that brings up another one. I just thought of uh, another uh, feature no. um, that, that is implemented in SAS, and that's logical depopulation. Right. Um, okay. A lot of people refer to it as, as depop, right? As these drives get larger and larger and the platter count goes up, you know, 9, 10, possibly 11 platters, when something fails, whether it's a head or the media, to your point, to send somebody into the, to the data center to go find that drive, you know, pull it out, rebuild it that's a that's a risk. it's expensive and it's a risk right and so if there were a way to say okay well you know the, my computer is you know sensing that there's a high degree of head errors or media errors on this one platter then what can happen is they find out you know what part of it is still good they can take that data and put it on another disk another platter and then logically depopulate that platter from the drive um, so if it's a I don't know, so I can do the math. If it's a 20 terabyte drive and it's 10 platters and you remove one platter, then you just, now now the drive reports itself as 18 terabytes. And, and nobody has to go into the data.
1: Right? Yeah, the, the latest drives, they're saying sort of three terabytes plus per, per platter. And you know ultimately, even if it's whatever the capacity is, if you've got, say, ten platters, you know you're looking at ten percent loss, and you might only lose one side of that. You might be you might want one head that's damaged or something like that, so it might only be five percent. And I think if you look at an, an environment where you deploy your own data that on top of the infrastructure, nobody's going to say that you're guaranteed to be at a hundred percent on every single infrastructure component all the time. You might well, for example, be loading everything up, and you might have an infrastructure that's sixty percent or seventy percent used, in which case losing a platter doesn't necessarily directly affect the data that's being stored but it certainly affects the operation of the drive in terms of the drive logically wanting to fill itself in its entirety so even though it might not affect the actual capacity of the system directly it affects the the operational use of that system so being able i think to f- logically f- fail a platter actually is an operational massive operational benefit and not necessarily a capacity challenge yeah correct excellent okay so um i mean gosh you know we we talked about some what seemed like pretty logical things i think there but actually in terms of scale you know potentially it's very difficult to do the sort of the level of management i think probably without SAS. i can't think of i can't think how you certainly i can't think how you do it on nvme but certainly it seems that SAS has sort of evolved to to meet those requirements as part of its sort of evolution. And it seems like that's the only way we could really do this in any practical way, I think.
0: Yeah. It's, and so a couple couple comments to that. Um, number one, you know, NVMe does have a, man, a management, you know, with MI uh, management extension. Um, and so they are, you know, they are thinking about it. They are working on it. But SAS, you know, it, it's been built in since the beginning with SMPs and SES. And then there are all sorts of tools, whether they're proprietary or open source tools that are all written around that to, to use those two different layers of the, of the SCSI protocol.
1: Right, that's, that's really important. And what about, um, touching just sort of finally in this section really about the pricing. I'm very interested in, in the fact that you had, um, in your presentation, you had a little report that showed the, sort of the difference in pricing between hard drives and SSDs in terms of the interface. Is that really something that um, people should be aware of?
0: Well, and and so let's call it cost, right? The cost of the, the cost of the media, you know, comparing okay. a comparable SSD to a nearline HDD. So QL, right? So it's it's funny you can you can find articles that say, oh, well, the crossover of SSDs and HDDs has already happened. That's comparing QLC NVMe drive uh, or flash drive to you know a fifteen k SAS drive. Right, and that's right, that's apples and oranges. If you compare comparable devices, right now the cost delta is between five and six X. Now, it was significantly higher um, a number of years ago, it was you know on the the order of 10 X, and right now we see it plateauing um, at about that with innovations like Hammer. You know, it may even start um, trending the other way, depending on how pervasive that, that technology becomes. And we start seeing, you know, 30 terabyte and 40 terabyte drives as the mainstream, that's going to, you know, change that equation even more. Yeah. And and it, it's interesting because in surveying the, the hyperscale customers, the crossover seems to be at about three X, you know, they, they claim once a, once an SSD can get within three x the cost of a nearline or a QLC drive can get within three x of a nearline drive. Right. Then it starts to become compelling and things might start to shift. But right now we don't see, you know, we don't see that happening in the near future. Could it happen? Sometimes, yes, absolutely. With new bit cell architectures on the NAND side, there are a lot of things that could change it. Um, right. Because remember, the you know NAND and SSDs aren't standing still either. But for the, for the next you know foreseeable future five to ten years, uh, that that crossover won't happen.
1: The interesting thing, I think, is when you look at at those two technologies, the QLC media has started to exhibit similar issues to hard drives in the sense that as we uh, scale that uh, QLC media to much larger capacities, the endurance has now become more of an issue in terms of how many times it can write to it but not only that but the the latency of actually reading and writing to it is very different compared to what say slc would be so a bit like fast hard drives were great slower your bigger hard drives were slower we've now seen the similar similarity in the ssd market where slc was smaller but faster qlc is bigger but slightly slower and it, it shows that across our industry we have this constant hierarchy of technologies that we have to deploy whether it's you know DRAM, ssd hard drive dare i say it, tape you know tape's still got a, a place and ultimately at yeah. each of those levels you're looking at the most cost effective way to deliver that which continues to bring you back to the idea that there's always going to be a place for things like SAS because you know, that cost profile is always going to be a considering factor in storing your data.
0: No. And that's good. And you brought up, you brought up tape, right? And the the hyperscalers, I mean, you can, you can go, if you go do your homework, there's the hyperscalers use a lot of tape and it's actually driving, um, innovations in tape right now as well. So I not real popular topics, but, real nonetheless
1: do you know there, there isn't there's an ai angle to this and it's a very tenuous ai angle to this but that's you know one thing that ai is doing is it's generating large larger and larger volumes of data that we need to be able to move in and out of very expensive compute environments to process and do something with if people are going to spend Well, what did Mark Zuckerberg say, $10 billion on 350,000 GPUs or something crazy like that? If people are going to build out massive uh, compute infrastructures like that, or if we're going to rent them even, we're going to have to have techniques to move data in and out of of those platforms. And we're going to have to have somewhere else to put that data when we're not crunching it. And it's going to have to be relatively quick to get it in and out. And I think that's why I can see there can be tiering coming in where, you know, we use maybe flash to um, access it mainly. Sometimes we put it back down onto hard drive because it's the next layer down in terms of making it sort of just about ready to be used. And then maybe we archive it completely on tape when we want to keep it, but save it for another time. So I think our industry will still have those tiers within it, even with AI
0: absolutely ai has made you know huge you know huge leaps and bounds in the in the recent you know, the recent past but one of the fundamental things that's enabling it is the amount of data the content that has been you know you know created and stored that those gpus can go and put into their models and you know work on you think of the surveillance data that's collected you know, on every street camera and everything, and then that has to get saved. And then it gets worked on, right? I mean, they go and they go and search it, um, whether it's, you know, traditional AI with, you know, servicing a big model, or, you know, more computational storage, you know, going and finding a blue car, or what, you know, whatever, whatever you're looking for in the surveillance data, you know, that amount of data, you know, it's not slowing down, it's still, you know, while AI, you know, the computational side of AI has gotten kind of the Gotten the spotlight recently, it still relies on a lot of data, and that data is still coming in, and it still has to be saved, and it still has to be accessible.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So, my assumption is then that we're not necessarily all moving everything to NVMe tomorrow. You've got a nice graph, I think, that um, that shows exabytes shipped, I think, which is quite interesting, and I think that one for me sort of gives you a good indication of that sort of tiering model in terms of what people still want to use. Um, Different devices for, and different protocols for.
0: Yeah, if um, if you look at the exabyte shipped um, over time, over the past 20 years, and then you know pick your favorite uh, source uh, information source moving forward, the forecast all say that you know right now we're at maybe 10 10%, 10% of oh well I should let me say 90% of all exabytes shipped are behind SaaS infrastructure. So that would be SAS HDDs ssds sata HDDs, and sata ssds so 90 percent of all exabytes shipped are behind the sas infrastructure and it's going to stay that way for a while for a long time right i mean you you know you may see some growth um away away from that but not significant so it's still it's you know the sas infrastructure still um service is a very important part of the storage ecosystem
1: yeah how does that fit in terms of things like Power consumption, um, another one of the, the charts I I thought was quite interesting, you had a, a power consumption comparison. And I think I've seen a few things around the industry in the last little while where people have said, oh, yeah, you know, hard drives are using um, far, far more power than an SSD. And then somebody will come back and say, well, actually, it depends on, on the mode they're operating in. And then you look at it and think, well, OK, if it's operating in a, in a busy mode, an SSD is going to be getting warmer because certainly the ones I've got on my desk do that when, they, when they're, in, they're busy writing data. But if you're using an SSD and it's just idling all the time, well, you're not really getting the most out of the SSD. So you want it to be active. I mean, so there's sort of like a real balance between the two here, isn't there?
0: Yeah, no. And so this so power power is an interesting one, um, you know. I went to to put together the chart that you're referring to. I went out and researched um, and talked to many experts. And it was interesting because depending on, you know, how you search or how you ask the question, you're gonna get a very different answer. Um, And you can go find articles saying that, you know, SSDs are far superior uh, in power performance over HDDs. And then you can find completely the opposite. Um, And so what I did was I worked with a number of the hyperscalers, domestic hyperscalers, um, and you know ask them questions like you know what's a normal you know workload you know how active are the uh, are, is a drive in like a near line tier right so again so good example um, you look at what an nvme drive might be doing in a you know in a in a caching tier uh, in a you know a close tier a hot tier and it's just going to be getting you know hammered the whole time. It's it's going to be working really hard pushing a lot of data. Nearline it's going to be the, the drives are going to be spun down a lot of the time um, and there's going to be a lot a lot of downtime. So what I did was I took common HDD um, and then a and a comparable SSD and I and I compared the two using a workload that I again I generated from working with the uh, with with the hyperscalers. And what I found was normalized by, by capacity. So the actual, uh, metric I use is terabyte terabytes per watt. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I found was, you know, in read intensive workloads, there's a slight advantage in, uh, HDDs, but on the write intensive workloads, there's almost a 50%, uh, advantage with HDDs. So again, um, you know, you have to be careful with how you put the numbers together, but, I believe that HDDs do have a compelling power advantage in a nearline tier, where they're designed to be in these high-capacity nearline tiers.
1: And interestingly, if you look at, say, um, I know Hammer, obviously it's, it's termed heat-assisted magnetic recording, so there's a there's a little bit of extra power needed for those drives. I think around just over 10 watts compared to about eight or so for a, or 8.909 or for a for a traditional cmr type drive but if you look at that as they increase the bit density that power shouldn't change so you know if that drive becomes double in capacity you shouldn't expect a massive increase in the power demand for that so the terabytes per watt value should actually decline for larger and larger drives
0: Right, so that so so again, that's part of the numbers game, right? Because if you're just looking at power, that's one story. But you know, from a uh, you know a hyperscaler's perspective, it's all about you know that that slot, you know, the, yes. you know what what's the storage density, what's the power density of that slot, and um, that's why I normalized it um, terabytes per watt. Mm.
1: Funny enough, you say about slot the slot cost in the mid 2000s when I used to do a lot of um, uh, design for systems when we were building systems out for customers i would use the per slot mechanism as a way of working at cost because with per slot you could work out how much you were going to get in a rack so you could look out look at you know floor cost you know you'd look at power because you knew how much each slot would take in terms of power but also you knew how much you'd get in terms of spindle performance and and various other things so the slot was generally uh, sort of like our central point in terms of working out all those calculations so it's interesting to think that it's still mm. something that the industry looks at today Yep. okay so it I think all of that's really interesting and it sort of points to why we see um, SAS still having such a, a, a big place in the hyperscalers other than what you've already discussed can you give us any sort of good examples of where where this is being done and the sort of scale we're talking about
0: yeah, so a really good example is Meta's recent uh, OCP submission. They, they submitted uh, their latest uh, storage server that they call Grand Canyon. It is all 20, you know, its infas- it's nearline infrastructure is all 24 gig SAS. Right. Um, now, it does use nearline SATA drives, um, but it uses a SAS initiator, SAS expanders, all the SAS management. Um, to do that. And this the public information, you can go find it on OCP's website. Um, it's very well documented. Okay. And so that's that's a good one, right? So that was you know a, a recent architecture that was developed and and a lot of these things that we've been talking about went into it, the scalability, reliability you know the cost how do they meet those objectives and the way they meet it is you know with using a SaaS infrastructure for their near line tier
1: okay i'll go and take that out and we'll, we'll find it we'll put a link to that into the show notes so people can have a look and look yeah. at that for themselves because yeah. that sounds you know it's an interesting uh, interesting use case so Rick it all sounds really it sounds really interesting i think we should d- definitely um Get people to go and look at the ocp uh, website and have a look at that and as i said we'll put a link to the show notes in for that but i think uh, if anybody is actually interested in learning a bit more about this and you know exactly what you your, you do and what the industry is doing to sort of promote this where should we point them to
0: um, a good reference is is our website um we are on snea.org so www.snea.org slash stay forum s-t-a dash forum that, that's that's the best site, and then, then social media. We're on all the social media channels. Uh, we have a Twitter, uh, Twitter handle. Um, we're on LinkedIn and YouTube as well.
1: Brilliant. Does, do people use Twitter anymore? I don't know. It's um, <laughs> it seems to be one of those platforms that, um, it seems to be in a bit of a. I don't know, sort of sitting there floating around, not really sure about it anymore, but there are, there are lots of other alternatives and we'll, we'll make sure we'll put links mm-hmm. to everything that you've got. But um, for now, Rick, thanks for your time. Been really uh, interesting to have the yep. chat and I uh, look forward to catching up soon.
0: Yep. Thanks, Chris. Bye. You've been listening to Storage Unpacked. For show notes and more, subscribe at storageunpacked.com. Follow us on Twitter at Storage Unpacked or join our LinkedIn group by searching for Storage Unpacked Podcast. You can find us on all good podcatchers, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.